Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast that has yet to be named. Today, Tim and I talk to our good friend, Jody Seymour. Our discussion is wide-ranging and covers a variety of topics from her newest book to her work with meditation to, well, just about anything else we can think about talking about. Enjoy. Well, yeah, it has been a minute. Um, what do you want to t- chat about? We can chat about oh, anything. We could. I, I could start you on your book. How's the book? Uh, the book is good. It's like, I, I was funny. I was taking a walk yesterday and I feel like, I kind of feel like I've gone through the same process when I was pregnant with Olivia. It's like, you find out you're going to do it. You're so excited. Like it was written months ago. And so I've mentally moved on from the book, but it has to go through the formatting and the edit, final, ed, final edits and and um, so we are in the home stretch. We are in the home stretch. I'm hoping it'll be out, um, if not by the end of this month, in the beginning of August. But um, I'm, you know, it's it's self-published, and the person that's helping me with the formatting and and doing the cover is brilliant, and I want them on the project. But they also have a full life of their own. So I'm just, I'm just sort of surrendering it to, it'll get done when it gets done and it'll come out when it's supposed to, but I'm very proud of it. I'm very excited about it. Um, I actually did a workshop not too long ago that I based on the book. Um, and it, it went really, really well. It was, you know, the feedback was really, really spectacular. So I'm hoping once it does get published that um, I'll be able to have more of those opportunities. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I can relate mm-hmm. to like literally writing a book is like you have to treat it like a child, right? You like you nurture mm-hmm. it and you care for it and it's and you're mm-hmm. totally focused on it. And then it gets a little older and then you're kind of really tired of it. And then there's a brief instance where it just pisses you off every day. And you, the last thing you want to do is deal with this thing. And then at some point, you know, you, you look back on it and you go, wow, it was all worth it, but just go away. Like, don't, yeah. don't go away mad. Just go away. <laughs> and then you send it out there into the world and there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Like it's just, mm-hmm. it's there. It's either accepted or it's not. And, uh, and then you start to, so it's, it really is a lot like being a parent in microcosm, but it's like being the, the evil parent, I think, um, to an extent that, that like, I don't, like I want, obviously I want my daughter to come back home and visit the book. Nah, you stay out there. You don't, you don't need to come back. Home. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I know how you feel about your daughter. And I'm like, this isn't tracking. I know Tony doesn't want his daughter to go away and not come right. back. So it's, the evil it's like the evil parent, like all the, mm-hmm. all the, all the, uh, the, like the, the tough love parent, that's what it is, right? Without the, without the tenderness, you get the tough love parent going on, but it is, um, and then I find too, and then I can, cause I have probably three books in the works right now, right? None of them are going anywhere. Um, but I'm mm-hmm. all right with it. You learn to accept it. Cause, mm-hmm. and you, you know, like I did a book on basically I kind of consolidated my journal entries of the last four to five years. Um, and just sort of turn it into a book. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. It's a cross of poetry and essays Mm -hmm. and just weird Mm -hmm. things. And I sent it up, um, to my sister-in-law, who's also essentially my therapist in many respects, but a close friend. And a lot of like, a lot of the book is my side of conversations that she and I have had. 
And she suggested mm-hmm. that I include pictures and I wanted to include pictures. And that just was like a whole stop because now I'm focused on like, well, should I, what pictures should I include? And it's like, and I'm, I know I'm using it as an excuse, but it's all right. <laughs> it's, it's okay. I'm not worried about it. Right. So, but uh, it'll get there when it gets well, there. The excuse part is interesting because I'm at this point where I now know it's going to become reality before it was just an idea that I was excited about. And now that it's reality and it can go into the world and people can have opinions about it, it's slightly terrifying. So I think that's why I'm just like, oh, it's fine. It'll come out when it comes out. But once you put something out there creatively, um, not everyone's going to see it the same way you do. And, um, and, and, and there's a lot of vulnerability. It's a lot of my own journey, um, with mindfulness and, um, you know, a lot of the examples come from my own lived history, especially being a parent and all the ways I've been reactive and have, you know, screwed that up. So, um, you know, anytime you're sort of vulnerable like that, you're opening in a public way, you're opening the door for criticism. So I've just really been spending the last couple of months just getting right with myself and, and, um, you know, overcoming that imposter syndrome and who do I think I am. And, and so I've been spending my time sort of, I I guess, getting ready to, to, to put that out there. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. no, it does. Cause I think like, I think one of the biggest things for me when I, cause I wrote two fiction novels, right? So there's a certain amount of vulnerability there, but there's also this, there's also the, the guys of fiction I can hide behind. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and people always ask me like, well, actually I have one thing that shocked me was very few after the book went out and people had read it. Very few people asked me about the book, you know, like I've, I got, maybe one person that asked me specific things about the book and I couldn't quite understand it, but then it took me a while to understand. I guess everybody doesn't read a book the way I read it. Right. You know, and, (laughs) and I thought that people would be curious about the characters or, but I got very, very few questions. And the one question I did get is which character was I, right? Where am I in the book? And it's like, and the answer to that is like, I'm at once not in there at all. And at the same time, excuse me, at the same time, I'm all over it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you, you can't separate the two. Um, mm-hmm. And it, people look at me and then maybe that's why they don't ask me questions about the book, because I give them these esoteric answers um, when they <laughs> when they do, you know. And, but, you know, the very of, of I don't know how many people read it. And the other thing I learned about books is, I mean, um, I think I had printed 400 some copies or something through the publisher. And anyway, they're all gone and they're out there. Um, I don't know how many people actually like read the book, but I have a feeling of the, it's more than the 400 because the book got passed around a lot. I like, Oh, I got this book from so-and-so and and then I gave it to this person. Um, So a lot more people read the book than saw the book, which really kind of, I learned a lot about the nature of story um, Mm. from that too. Right. So, and I just think it's, it's interesting um, um, how that works. So I learned a lot about that. And I think there was some, I got over the initial disappointment of like people, I thought people would want to discuss the book, you know, and, and what, but nobody really did. Maybe it was written too clearly. Maybe I should have been more ambiguous. I don't know. Um, but there is that vulnerability. It was almost the opposite. I was almost, I, I laid it out there with an attempt to be vulnerable and nobody saw it or nobody cared. Mm. But that was my interpretation, not the interpretation, right? Right. And I think, you know, 
this book will not be more important to anyone than it is to us. Like, like you know, it, it'll be, and I think of all the books I've read, I've, I've read hundreds of nonfiction. I love personal growth, growth mindset. I love all of that. I love learning about how humans human and different perspectives, but it's not like any of these books have become my Bible that I'm referring to over and over and over again. So that I, I can't, I, I can't go into it thinking that my book's going to be that. But I did, before I even wrote my first line, I had to ask myself, what is the best case scenario? And what is the worst case scenario? And the best case scenario is that it helps one person. And quite honestly, it helped me tremendously. It helped me tremendously. And so worst case scenario, it helped me and I learned how to write a book. Like it's pretty badass. So, I mean, if I look at it that way, anything more than that is just, you know, the cherry on top. So yeah, it's, it was such a focus for me for so long. And now that I've done my part with it, life is still happening. And, um, and, and it's given me something to go back and be like, well, remember in that chapter you said this, this, and this? Like, boy, that sounds like really good ideas for you to do. <laughs> like, I really, well, and we talked a little bit off camera. Um, and I know, I, I, I know, Tim, you've had experience with this. I'm really working on just trying to surrender right now. There's a lot of things um in the lives of people I care about that are happening. I, I have a dear friend whose son is was critically injured in a car accident, isn't expected to make it. I have another dear friend who just got a breast cancer diagnosis. And I was, I was talking to my husband. I'm like, I do so much better when the things are happening to me because there's some sort of element of control. Okay, Jody, you can control the mindset that you go into this with. You can control how you're fueling your body. You can control giving yourself time in nature. I have zero I have zero skin in the game when it comes to other people's suffering and I just have to surrender and hold them into my heart and it's so bad because I want to do it's like, if I just sent you this bracelet, this prayer bracelet, will that make it better? No, no, it's not. It's just a thing. Like, so I'm really, um, I feel like life just keeps giving me things to work on. <laughs> and right now it's, it's, it's just surrendering to what is, because it is, I mean, whether I surrender or not, it's, it's happening. It's happening. So. So yes, I would love to. I would love to hear your thoughts on how to just be with what is. Let me just lob that out yes, there. Just, just a little question. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, much, how much coffee have you guys had? Let me hear. We're gonna stop. Yeah. Go, we're watching me drink my first cup, so we're we're getting there. We're getting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I. I mean, I'm in that same place currently with, I mean, with a lot of things in my life about surrender to just allowing things to be exactly how they are. And when it's happening, mm -hmm. even when it's happening to me, 
and it's things in my life that control doesn't actually do anything when i'm i find when i'm trying to control it whether it's some in somebody else's life or in my life it's just me trying to change it it's like a avoidance mm -hmm. technique you know mm -hmm. and it's really difficult to just sit with and be with discomfort and i don't know that it's any different for me coming from the, an addiction background and, and you know being in recovery but i think it's just human nature to avoid discomfort um mm -hmm. but Effects. yeah and you but yeah as it you have there's no avoiding it you're gonna have to eventually sit with it and process it mm -hmm. uh, and i've really been i've been sitting a lot with discomfort and just asking it what it's doing here and having a conversation with it you know when it shows up mm -hmm. when that feeling comes and i have that angst or that anxiety or that grief and sense of loss or uh sense of something's missing i'm like hey, what are you doing here what are you trying to mm -hmm. teach me you know like what is mm -hmm. this like what what's your purpose of being here mm -hmm. um and i remember i said to amanda a few months ago because you know things take time you know and uh i go oh, do you know what the, the worst part about time is it takes forever <laughs> <laughs> but it's true like there's no speeding it up you know you could just i could just try to distract myself but really just prolonging that experience um and uh there's something to be learned in that space you know in that uh it's just being present in and creating space for that discomfort i heard recently a quote that I really liked of this it's the space between the notes is what makes the sound what that makes the song mm -hmm. you know so just mm -hmm. allowing for there to be space for anything to kind of come in is what ends mm -hmm. up creating the beautiful song of my life um, mm -hmm. and it's not always like when I say a beautiful song it's not just joy it's also pain and the discomfort and the loss and the, mm -hmm. you know, and the joy and the love and the connection. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of loss in my life right now. I mean, a, a buddy of mine cut his rope and fell out of a tree on Thursday last week and died. It's like oh, I spent sad. yesterday with a whole group of friends. Uh, that was like his group of friends. One of my buddies flew home from California and we all just got together yesterday and shared stories and laughed and cried and hung out. And, you know, and it was, it's a really beautiful experience to be around everyone. Uh, and all kinds of lessons come out of that too. You know, um, every, like everyone's like, it's been, we all used to see each other all the time and everybody was mm -hmm. hanging out at parties and now everyone's got kids mm -hmm. and this and that. And everybody's like, we haven't talked in like a year. Let's not do that again. Let's, oh, you know, connect. And everybody was just coming together and sharing stories and want to stay, you know, and it, it's a reminder of how short, mm -hmm. you know, this ride could really be, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, Tim, I'm so sorry. It's beautiful, brutal love, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the law, and I think that's for me, is my struggle to surrender 
is always fear-based. It's always, instead of focusing on the love, it's the fear, it's the loss, it's the um, out of control. It's instead of settling into the, the love that was present, the, the stories, the conversation, it's the, how will they survive? Like, I just keep asking myself, how will my friend Heather survive this? And then for me, I've never had a, a friend my age in my circle lose a child. And as the mother of a 10-year-old, then it's, that becomes a terrifying prospect. Well, this happened to her. How could it not happen to me? Like, and, and so my discomfort and my inability to to um, to just surrender and accept is really just a manifestation of my fear of how will she survive? How what if this happened to me? Like, um, and 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 there's nothing good happening in that mind space. <laughs> like there's nothing, the what ifs and the projection and the, I mean, there's no, there's no healing. There's no, there's no, um, peace. There's no quiet. It's just, um, incessant brain chatter. And so I'm, I'm really trying to, to turn that off. One thing that I'll find in those experiences though, is what if it happened to me, you know, um, is a reminder of mm-hmm. today. Yeah, I, it hasn't happened to me, and these people are mm-hmm. in my life or on the line, right? You know, and it's the what, what if versus what is. Well, yep. every time I find myself in what if, why don't I just say what is? But it's also a reminder of what's important. Like yesterday, Olivia comes out in my t-shirt and underwear, and I'm like, she goes, "Well, I haven't done laundry," <laughs> and I could feel myself getting annoyed, and it's like. I would do anything to be annoyed with her child for not doing his laundry. Yep. And it's like, yeah, this shit doesn't matter. Exactly. I, I have drawers full of clothing for you, kid. <laughs> it's, it's just perspective. It's just perspective about, um, about pay attention to all the beauty and joy around you and the very simple things. And I, I, I did that yesterday. I had a particularly hard day yesterday and I just kept looking. It's kind of like, I think therapists do this where they're like, look, can you see five things? Can you hear four things, whatever, to ground you in the present moment? And I, I, I literally spent an hour just staring at my husband's garden because flowers around it and everything's coming up and the hummingbirds and the butterflies. And I was just like, just, I found myself just staring at that because I needed to see beauty. I needed to see life. I needed to see vitality. Um, and I really think that that's, you know, I think we're in for a really hard couple days and, um, I just have to, I, I, I need to keep doing that. It's, it's always a tricky, um, thing, right? Because, you know, the, the Buddhist legend about inviting Mara to tea, right? So, you know, like, don't like if hardship shows up your front door, if the devil shows up at your front door, don't lock the door, open the door and yeah. let him in. But yeah. 
I think you have to be careful with that because you are you will end up being the sum of the five people you hang around with the most. So if Mara mm-hmm. is the only one you invite to tea, it's a slippery slope. So I think you're right that. And I think a lot of people miss it. I know I've missed that at points in my life where it's like the only person I was inviting to tea was Mara, you know? And it's like, and that there is value in that, like Tim said, in like sitting with that discomfort and looking at it. But I think like you did, you know, staring at the garden, you have to invite other people to tea too that are much more friendly and bright and, uh, mm-hmm. and be able to see that. And I think that juxtaposition mm-hmm. is somewhere in between that, like the notes in between the song, that juxtaposition... There are just truly shitty things that happen in this world, um, you know, and like I, if for as much as I would love to believe that there's a plan for all of it, I can't. I've seen too much. I've seen good people go by the wayside and bad people succeed. We've all seen that. I've seen good people taken too early and bad people live too fucking long, um, you know, so I think that mm-hmm. for me, the justification, or not even justification, but for me, it's that juxtaposition of those two things. That's where life occurs somewhere in between. Yeah. Um, and and understanding that and and you know walking that delicate slope between inviting more to tea but then also inviting somebody else to tea that's much more friendly you know yeah. and uh and the way yeah. the way i remind myself of this is when tragedy does happen and i have to address somebody i very rarely say "Lo, i'm so sorry because i do feel sympathy for him um but my sympathy is not really what's needed at that point mm-hmm. and it reminds me you know, to just basically sometimes the best I can do in those situations is literally just to, to be there and to sit mm-hmm. as a strong presence, whether it's needed or not. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, for as, my sympathy will do them no good, but perhaps mm-hmm. maybe my strength or just my presence um, mm-hmm. can act as like a, a re, like a, an echo absorber. Right. I see mm-hmm. myself a lot of times as a reverb absorber to just mm-hmm. take on some of that pain and that suffering as best I can. And, you know, that, I'm with you that, you know, when you told me the story about your, your friend's son, you immediately as a parent, you think, oh God, you know, I don't even want to think about this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew Tim's friend as well. We had done some training together a couple months ago. And the first thing comes to my mind is like, oh, you know, like, why, why am I in this field? You know, I've Mm -hmm. never had a real job where people don't die. (laughs) I'm like, why did I choose this? Mm -hmm. You know, I've had two jobs in my life. I've been an arborist and I've been a soldier. Like, what have I done? Like, what have I done? You know? Um, you have a type. I, I seem. I seem to have a type. So it is. Uh, and I didn't deal with that very well um, earlier. Um, and I think, you know, like many people, I've turned to, to coping mechanisms that weren't necessarily the healthiest. I'm fortunate mm-hmm. that it didn't catch up with me. But finding that delicate balance. And, mm-hmm. and it's not that I don't want to offer somebody sympathy. I just think for me, it's a reminder because then it gives me more value. If I can say, Tim, that just sucks. I'm so, it just sucks to hear about Joe. There's just no, there's no words I can say to make that better. Um, Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend texted about the breast cancer and I just wrote back, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because the universe is a, well, you you all know my theory about a broken ass fucking disco ball. All right. So it's just what it, what it, it's. Yeah, it just reflects the shit back um, sometimes. And unfortunately, there's shitty people and there's good people and we all cast light. And disco ball don't care what what the yeah. quality of the light is or what the color is. It just reflects it back. It's up yeah. to us to figure it the fuck out from there. I had a uh, mm-hmm. another friend two weeks ago. A guy, a good buddy of mine that overdosed and passed away. And his girlfriend, who was six months pregnant, found him. 
and it was like, and all people were calling me and asking me like, you know, that are close with her, like, what do I do? How do I show up for her? And I'm like, mm-hmm. we just show up. That's what mm-hmm. we do. Like there. And I've not said to her, I'm so sorry. Or I don't even text her and say like, how are you? I'm like, what are you doing? You want to get dinner? Mm-hmm. You want to meet here? Mm-hmm. We're having people over, come around, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I've, it's just sad. There's nothing mm-hmm. but it being sad in it fucking sucks like that's it there's no we can't fix it we can't change it there's no any way out of it besides fuck Mm -hmm. there's not and i and she has said i'm like listen you're not alone like we as a community and a group like this is you're not going to be going through this experience alone like we're here and Mm -hmm. she's like right now everyone's texting and keeping in contact but what about in a couple weeks when the texts stop and i'm like that's not quiet. gonna happen i'm like you can um and i've said to her multiple times i'm like there's always someone home at my house just come over and watch tv we don't have to talk you can just hang out here we'll just chill mm-hmm. and do nothing just be here whenever you want just show up mm-hmm. and now i for their child yeah, yeah. And now my i feel like my purpose is to like show up for her you know, and like in the past, it's been to like help, you know, her boyfriend, you know, Derek. And then now he's gone and there's nothing I can do there, but just show up and be at service with her somehow and just let her know she's not alone. And, you know, and I, I don't like, I don't know how well it works, but sometimes like the perspective thing, you know, when you look at your problems and then you see somebody else's, I don't know how good that is for like the ego. And like, if that's mm-hmm. actually like a healthy route to take of like comparison, well, my problems aren't really that bad, you know, look at them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, pain it, is pain. Yeah, pain is pain, you know, but I mean, it does put it into perspective sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, I mean, we all have different levels of pain. And, Man. Yeah. You do, have, you do have to be careful with what I like call the uh, Walmart uh, system of therapy. So like if you're a really bad father, I would just go to Walmart and in like five minutes, I'd feel better about myself because I'd be like, well, I'm not that bad. (laughs) You know, it's like, and while it's always been a better joke than an actual technique, I think you do have to be very careful with that comparison because it, I think the problem with it, at least what I see is when you look at it objectively, it's ego centered, right? Mm -hmm. It's very ego centered. It's not focused on the person with the pain. Cause like you said, Jody, pain's Mm -hmm. pain. Um, mm-hmm. it's been, you know, a difficult lesson to learn that everybody's going through. Everyone's, every, everyone's a wound. Every, yeah. yeah, everybody has a story. Everybody has something. A lot of times it's a happy story and joy in it. And I might look at it and go, why are you happy about that? But it's not my story. So to understand mm-hmm. that and to, you know, to, it is like it, I'm not saying it's a bad technique. I'm saying that for me, it's a technique that if you lean on too much can be very egocentric. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because it's really their pain isn't about me, right? The the, the poor people that are doing yeah. poor parenting in, in Walmart have a story uh-huh. um, that I know nothing about. And they might truly be terrible people, but that's not for me to, uh, mm-hmm. that's not for me to judge. And there's nothing I can, I can do about that, right? There's no fixing. And I think, like I said before, one of the, the reasons I very, very, very rarely, um, and have gotten out of the habit of in these situations going up to people and saying, oh, I'm so sorry, is because it, it, to me, it almost means that I'm trying to like, it's almost like I wish I could fix it. 
-hmm. and you, you do wish that but i can't so you know let's not i think just having that physical presence and being there um whether it be virtual right, and i'm sorry makes it about me mm -hmm. right it, and it's not about me it's it's about it's about her pain and i think that getting back to the, the book the book was really about helping people understand the value of being in the present moment and how to access that at a very um normal everyday level like how to how to access moments of presence in in your daily life and going back to what you said tony and and tim that's really all we that's the greatest gift you can give someone is just to be fully with them um and so I, I, I think maybe that's, you know, my surrendering to all this that's going on is just me saying, yeah, God, this is such a shit show. And this is so fucking awful. And I am just going to be with them to, to witness their pain and to, to just be a solid presence for them in the months afterwards, because right now she is inundated with support and people and, and, um, but everyone has their own story and everyone's living their own lives. And so that will get quiet because people will go back to their, their own lives. And that's, that's how you show up for someone, right? Is to be there when everyone else, everyone else has gone back to their own lives. Yeah. Truly tragic shit. Yeah. Can you guys hear my dog snoring? Mm -mm. I want to be more like my dog. All right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it occurred to me last week when I, well, yeah. Well, I was in Louisiana doing a training course and it was like hot. Like it was like slap your mama hot, like that hot. And it occurred to me, um, why oh, trees don't have souls. You want to know why? No. They don't need them. They've never lost touch with earth, right? They've never become ungrounded uh, metaphorically mm -hmm. and, and physically. And I think that, um, you know, when people, I think that actually it's conversation Amanda and I've had before is like, you know, can a dog have a soul or can a dog, can you reincarnate as a, as a dog? And we don't have to go down that road if you don't want to, but I'm like, my response has always been no. And it's, and it's even more now because they don't need it. Right. Mm -hmm. Who's more in the present moment than your dog snoring amidst mm -hmm. all the tragedy and sadness? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I think the sole purpose of the soul is to keep us connected somehow. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's just uh, just a crazy thought I had because I have a lot of crazy thoughts. So. I don't think it's crazy. <laughs> but I think that, like you said, it, it when dealing with the grief and the tragedy, what's funny is we don't have this same struggle when it becomes with enormous joy, do we? Mm -hmm. You know, and you should almost have the same struggle to an extent, right? Like when, when somebody gets an amazing piece of news, you should have the same struggle, but we don't, um, I don't know why, you know, cause it's the same thing, like to, to come in and try and, oh, I'm so happy for you. You know, how different is that? And, oh, I'm so sorry for you. Mm -hmm. you know or is it is it ego based and, and i'm not saying that it's not that like what I, I don't tell somebody i'm not sorry for their tragedy because i am but expressing it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. right it doesn't it and to me it becomes ego based on from from my perspective mm -hmm. so i wonder sometimes if we learn to deal with joy better we would deal with sadness better 
Well, I think first we have to start by accessing it, right? I think um, that's that's a struggle. I know a lot of the people I know that are really suffering struggle, not suffering from like outside circumstances, mm-hmm. like your child being in an accident or getting a diagnosis, but on a daily basis struggle. Um, it's because they don't know how to access that simple joy. And I think it's sometimes the tragedies that help reground you. Like my daughter had her two closest friends over yesterday and all I can hear in my house is giggling. And I just stopped and I'm like, how have I not noticed how beautiful that sound is? It is like, I think it's my favorite sound in the world is listening to Olivia and her friends giggle because it's so innocent and so beautiful. And, and I'm like, how have I not noticed that before? And I think I've noticed it, but I literally just stopped. I just stopped and I put my hand on my heart and I closed my eyes. Like, thank God they didn't open the door and see me standing there. I probably would have like really freaked them out. What's wrong but with I your should... mom? <laughs> well, <laughs> they've been around to know a little. Yeah, they've been around enough. Is she to know off the wagon little... again? What's up with her? <laughs> they love my weird. Um, I hope. Um, but I'm like, God, that's such a beautiful sound. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's the ability to access those tiny moments and I think it's like when tragedy strikes it can be regrounding in a way because it helps you to to see that there's a lot of beauty too there's a lot of there's a lot of beauty well I, I think when you do something like that you're actually practicing acceptance and and non-judgment and being in the present moment in a happy situation the same way that you have to in a sad situation. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't take the time to practice it um, in a happy situation, yes. you know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, so it, no. yeah, like everybody wants to practice it when it, when the, when the, everything goes to shit sideways, mm-hmm. but we can spend time practicing it beforehand when good things happen. Right. Yeah, I actually had this analogy in the book about um, setting aside a couple minutes a day just to practice that accessing joy in the present moment. And in and I made the analogy of being a school teacher, and we, you know, five times a year we practice the fire drill. What happens when the bell goes off? Where do you walk? Because you don't want to wait until the building's on fire to practice. <laughs> And it's kind of the same way with accessing being in the present moment and finding joy. You don't want to wait until you're in deep grief and be like, well, how can I ever access joy again? Like that has to be something that you're practicing before your building's on fire. Exactly. And it, my theory has always been that, you know, character and good character traits and good practices and good people are not built in tough times. They're built in the good times. The tough times Mm. show, show the things you've practiced. Um, when it wasn't tough. I also though, when things happen like that and it's painful, I'm like, I don't want to be good at this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You know, all these things that we get to practice or, you know, these, yeah, things have to happen to practice them and the opportunity Mm -hmm. and grief come and you're like, ah, more of this. Like I, I don't want to do this anymore. You know? Yeah. 
Well, it's uh, Tim, you'll appreciate this. I, um, I, I don't know if you knew this. I still haven't, I'm still not drinking at all. So it's been, it'll be two years in October. Oh, cool. And, um, and, you know, red wine was always my, my easy button if I'm feeling discomfort. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I, you know, I said to my husband last night, I'm like, I'm so glad I'm not drinking anymore because I could have easily crawled into a bottle of Cabernet yesterday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's that, you know, once you give up the things that you use to numb, you have to learn to sit in the discomfort. And like and you just said, I wish I wasn't good at this. It's like, oh, I wish I hadn't, you know, made a practice out of sitting with my discomfort or my uncomfortable emotions. Like It's part of my practice. It's part of, you know, what I teach in my workshops. And it's like, oh shit, it's so easy to teach it when you're not having to experience it. Yeah, seriously, to it's so much it. easier to teach. <laughs> in your, your mental level, but have to experience it. Yeah. Um, I can teach you how to do it. Yeah. I don't want it anymore. I've done it enough. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've, yeah. Yes. I was having a conversation recently with uh, a couple friend of mine and they were uh, asking me, like, so what do you do with like anxiety? And stre- you don't drink at all? Like nothing? You don't. And you, so what do you do? <laughs> I like to cry. Yep. The, <laughs> crying is a good one. Yep. Crying, <laughs> letting it out. This is so mad. I'm like breath work. I love saying fuck. Fuck has been a really good tool for me. Yep. Yeah, sometimes you just have to let it <laughs> let it go. That's mm. one of my friends said to me, uh I think I've shared this on here before, but he uh had uh some other friends who were all really into ayahuasca and different psychedelics and stuff. And they were all like basically talking about how hardcore they were for like the level of psychedelics that they were engaging in and the spiritual work they were doing. And, and he said to them, he's like, you guys think you're hardcore. He's like, I have a friend who's been completely sober for 15 years. He has been raw dogging life for 15 years he goes that's hardcore (laughs) wow yes i was like oh i never thought of it that way yeah that is pretty hardcore (laughs) hardcore. (laughs) just raw dogging life life. Mm -hmm. see there's a book title now that i'm you know i'm a writer Uh, that's a great book title raw dogging life (laughs) that is funny it is funny. Yeah. Yeah, this feeling stuff is kind of hard. Well, it's like the, my, my poster would be, you know, if living was easy, everybody would be doing it. <laughs> Truth. Truth. So in your book, your uh, it's uh, techniques and experiences of being present and helping people experience presence. Yeah. So, um, every chapter is kind of like a mini lesson, you know, the teacher and me. Um, and so we talk about sort of in the beginning, like why we become overreactive and why we, you know, I, I go into the, the work of, um, John Kabat-Zinn and, um, 
and give this sort of the foundations of mindfulness, the, you know, ability to focus attention, the intention, living life with more intention and not an autopilot. And then um, the whole attitude of loving kindness. So the definition of mindfulness is um, being in the present moment on purpose without judgment. So bringing curiosity instead of judgment, that's that sort of loving kindness piece. Um, starting with yourself and then being able to project that. So the the whole book is sort of um, building to that. I'm, I'm I'm trying to start with alleviating alleviating the shame behind it because I know um, speaking from you know middle aged woman mom perspective, there's a lot of like mom guilt, like oh I wish I hadn't blown my top or I wish I you know hadn't reacted in that way, and a lot of that is just you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time on autopilot reacting to things that we saw ways of being that we saw when we were much younger, zero to seven. And then, um, go on to talk about like the whole body, how the body feels like, you know, the whole amygdala hijacked, how our body, when we feel ourselves triggered, our body goes into that fight. A lot of times our body goes into that fight mode and how to, um, how to, there's a great quote that says somewhere between a stimulus and a response, there's that space. And in that space is the freedom, the freedom to choose. So it's trying to teach ways to sort of give you that space. So I do, you know, I talk about breath work. I talk about creating a mindfulness practice. Um, I talk about like just 12 minutes a day of like concerted practice whether it's a meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's gardening, anything that you're doing where you're focusing your attention. So anything that you can do to sort of try to put yourself in flow state. Musicians have this, you know, like when you start playing your guitar, Tony, and then all of a sudden it's two hours later, you know, that's that's you being in the present moment on purpose. So finding ways that work for individuals. For some people, it might be gardening. For some people, it might be painting. But finding your your thing where you can just practice being in the present moment. And I'm trying to make that accessible. You know, when you, when you say mindfulness to some people, they're like, oh, my God, I can't meditate. Well, meditation is wonderful and it's a great tool, but there's a lot of different ways to do it. It doesn't have to be just sitting cross-legged on a, on a like, I can't even sit cross-legged for more than three minutes. <laughs> like it doesn't have to look like that. So um, that was really, that's really the purpose of the book is to help people be able to access that because connection is so important. And I think a lot of times we sever connection with our reactivity and our inability to listen. So those are two of the things that I've really tried to focus on in the book. And then I just sort of share my own stories of major screw ups and some successes and um, yeah. So that's it. That's what it's all about. And the other thing I weaved in there was um, some mantras. So every, every chapter has a mantra because I really do believe that the stories that we tell ourselves up here is sort of the fuel of how we act and how we react. So um, every chapter sort of has a mantra. Like I created this um, acronym A-hole, don't be an A-hole. And an A-hole is a human overwhelmed by life's emotions. Um, So when I find myself about to react, I'll literally say to myself in my head, don't be an A-hole. 
And for me, like that's helped me rewire that just, just saying that to myself gives me a little bit of space in between the stimulus and the response. So I'm just, you know, like, it's just like teaching, you throw a bunch of shit at the wall and something will stick. So there's just, I've thrown out a lot of stuff and hopefully people will be able to take with them at least something that will, will help them foster more connection in their life. I find a mantra that I've used a lot in the last couple of years is uh, everything is already okay. Mm-hmm. I really mm. like that one because it's just when it, yeah. when shit's hitting the fan and you know loss of relationships or friends and just anything mm-hmm. fear. It's just like it combats mm-hmm. fear so well for me. It's just like mm-hmm. reminding myself, grounding myself in this present moment because right now everything is already okay. All that chaos in my head of the future going to be or what if and I'll never see this person again or I lost or whatever. Everything mm-hmm. is already okay. Like it, mm-hmm. it would give anything in the future. I'd probably, there's plenty of times I'd give anything to be in this moment right now. You know, mm-hmm. who knows what it's going to be in the future and it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But like right now, everything is already okay. Mm-hmm. All that That's fear is thing. just make belief. Mm-hmm. It's all stories. Mm-hmm. It's all stories and assumptions. And yeah. What's the stoic mantra? You're usually upset more about the way you, th- now you don't get upset about things. You get upset about how you react to things. Mm-hmm. Things are just things, right? Situations are just situations. Mm-hmm. It's how you, um, how you response. And, uh, and your mm-hmm. Victor Frankl quote between stimulus and mm-hmm. response is based wonderful, wonderful book anything he's written was is phenomenal oh, yeah. too you got to be ready to read some of it though uh victor frankl mm-hmm. you got to be ready like it's not it's not light um yeah because i mean who has suffered more you know yeah, what i right. mean but he has a wonderful perspective on it and yeah. um i was i was fortunate enough to have to study that book when i was doing my philosophy degree um it was a book that my philosophy professor gave to me and then we wow. had to do an in-depth on it and look at it mm-hmm. from a well, from many different perspectives, but yeah, it's, mm-hmm. but it's highly, highly worth. Well, man's man's search for meaning is that book, but he has a num- a number of others out there that are that are well. If anybody's looking for a reading list to go on, Victor Frankl's mm-hmm. always awesome, and uh, just his life circumstances and way it came together. But my mantra is Q tip: quit taking it personally. Oh, I love that one too. Yeah, I, I use that one a lot when I'm driving. <laughs> I use yes. I use driving as uh, my way not to um to teach myself many things. Cause I'm an overreactive driver, you know, like <laughs> I just am. That's th- those types of things tend to trigger me. So Q-tip has been going like, it's like that person doesn't know me. They don't care about me. Whatever they're doing has nothing to do with me. Why am I angry? And then I think the other one that I come to back a lot is the person, the, the things that anger you control you. Yes. Um, yes. And I, I have a big problem with being controlled. <laughs> so, um, especially by, by external things like that. So that's one that kind of can kind of ground me. Like I, at the very mm-hmm. least, it'll keep me from getting mad because I don't want to be controlled and it'll yes. give me that spot, that space, be like, I'm not going to be angry now, <laughs> even though you are, you know, but that, that time to stop mm-hmm. and say is good. So having those mantras, they, mm-hmm. I consider them mantras to me or they're like signposts on your journey of life. Right. 
mm-hmm. like the mantra. It's like a signpost or a billboard or something. And sometimes for many, many years, you see the same billboard and it changes. Or you mm-hmm. come across a little, you know, roan in the sand or a painted rock. And, you, you know, those are those little signposts. They're literally the 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 caricatures, the symbolism of, of a journey, I think, when you mm-hmm. have mantras like that, you know. Uh, the a-hole one people yell at me all the time so i've been hearing that forever (laughs) i don't think they're yelling (laughs) mantras at you (laughs) no they're probably not yelling mantras at me but hey you never know (laughs) that's what i'm that story i'm telling myself tim that's the story jody's changed my perspective (laughs) and i got it you know what jody you told me a while ago about uh books piled up books and i relate this to people all the time the pile of books and how you how you mm-hmm. can get over the guilt and shame of having a pile of books and simply that the right book will appear at the right time. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have a pile, it can't possibly appear, can it? So I tell Absolutely. people to increase the pile, to make it bigger, to give mm-hmm. yourself more options. Mm-hmm. Well, and I believe it's all planting seeds, too, because I, I think we receive what we need when we're open to it. And for me, so many times, I remember Amanda a long time ago um, recommending, I just had this conversation this morning, it's so funny, um, the book, Many Masters, Many Lives. And then um, I bought it because I, I got excited about it. And then it sat in the pile. And then um, I think it was like two years later, my mom had a spot, um, a mass on her spine. And I immediately went into oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mom, blah, 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 blah. And I just, I picked up that book and I read it like in two days and it offered me such incredible comfort that I was like, I whatever is going to happen, it's going to be all right. Everything is already okay. And, you know, it turned out like it was a, like she had had it all of her life. It was, you know, and they're just going to monitor it. She's completely fine. It doesn't impact her. Um, it, it did not turn out to be the, the thing I feared it was going to be. Um, but that book offered me so much comfort. And I think it's because I was open to receiving it. So um, that's why, like this morning when I texted you, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to have an intelligent conversation because you know, so much is going on. But then I also was like, no, I like, I, I think connection in real conversation is exactly what I need to have right now. And so, um, it's just, it's just being open to the opportunities that universe and life give you. Yep. One of the physical actionable things that, you know, people ask us, say, just start to build that pile of books. Right. Not to have a pile, not because you need 10. Don't, you know, but start to build that pile of things that you're going to get to eventually, Um, Mm -hmm. because if you don't have the pile, you can't get to it. Right. And it could be anything. It could be for me. Physically, it's a pile of books. But there's also I have audio books. I have podcasts that. Oh, that Mm -hmm. looks interesting. Let me bookmark that you know, or a podcast. Mm -hmm. Oh, that looks cool. Let me bookmark that. And inevitably, you know, with the audio stuff, I'll be driving somewhere and I'll just be, Oh, what do I want to listen to? Oh, there it is. And it's just, but you have to have that pile. And you know, your method took the guilt and shame out of it. Cause I'm like, well, Jesus, when am I ever going to get around to these books and just made it what it is. It's, it's pile. That's all it is. It's a a resource, right? It's a, it's a Mm -hmm. reservoir, not a pile, right? It's Mm -hmm. a resource, not a detriment to like, And I fully know till the day that I finally move on to whatever's next, there'll just be a pile of fucking books. I'm not Mm going to get to them all. 
Like, but I, the point is not to get to them all. The point's to have right. them there when I need them, right? Isn't it weird? Like our mindset is it's something that we have to achieve and get through mm-hmm. and to do. It becomes like, instead of the pile of books or the podcast, it's like, it's, it doesn't have to be a check mark. I got to get it done to do thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like we spend so much time mm-hmm. in life and that's like with the writing of the book, I found myself really not enjoying it because I was treating it like a check mark. And then when I was just like, okay, you know what, this is going to be whatever it's meant to be. It's already made the goal of helping me. And so whatever is after that is whatever it is. And then it became enjoyable again. It became, I I got to enjoy the creativity of it and the working with someone else and the collaboration. I love the collaboration instead of being like, I got to get this checked off. Right. Like no one's get it's self published. No one's giving me a deadline. I don't have like, right. it's like, where's your dress? Like, right. so why am I putting that on myself? Mm-hmm. That's silly. Yeah. I, well, from a creative standpoint, I find I give myself deadlines or I have to have deadlines. Um, because I think that from a creative standpoint, once I get going, I can't stop. Once I get into that almost mm-hmm. flow or creative state, it's best for me if I just keep going. And that for me anyway, takes time. Right. I'm not, mm-hmm. I can't just, I, cause I had a, this really came home cause I had an interesting experience, right? Because I basically recorded the audio version of my first novel. So I have never probably read, I never read that whole book in its entirety as a book until I recorded it as an audio podcast, right? You don't read your own work. Why would you? Right. Like mm-hmm. I read it all, but you know, but, and it was probably, well, I published it in 2013. So it was 10 years since I'd really, really paid attention to that book. I pretty much had kicked it out of the house, said, move on, child, don't come back. But I decided, yeah. and I'd gotten a lot of requests for wanting to do the audiobook, And it's just something I wanted to do. I wanted to, so I did. And reading my own work to myself, like really, literally right here at my computer and doing it was, I can't describe it to you. I recommend it, but don't do it now. Give it five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um and there were points in it where I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? And there's other points where it's like, damn, I'm pretty good. Like, you know, uh-huh. like that, that was a fine piece of a uh, fine piece of literature right there, at least in my yeah. own mind, which is okay. Um, but to have that experience was just, it really, not only did the story come home, but just the process of creativity came home for me in a way that I'd never quite experienced it before. And I've learned to trust it a lot more, but part of that trust is knowing like once I get going to, to literally make myself check those boxes. Cause that's how I work best. Mm-hmm. But when they, when that, that initial momentum dies off is to not guilt myself into feeling bad. It's like, I right. ran as far as I could. Now I'm going to walk for a little bit and catch my breath and I'm going to, you know, and eventually I'm going to start to run again and, uh, and keep. And going. that's the loving kindness piece. That's the, that's the, without judgment, the, right. this is part of the journey. And I think we're, it's okay for us to put things down. It doesn't have to, we, we don't have to call it quitting or stopping. We can just call it putting down. Like I just trained, I've put down running again. I just trained for a half marathon. I did a half marathon. Now, I, I mean, our listeners cannot see me, um, but I'm not a half marathon runner by like, you wouldn't look at her and be like, Oh, I bet you that girl's got a couple of half marathons. <laughs> um, I, I like to take a casual walk with my dog or hike in the woods. Um, but I did it because I wanted to go to Martha's vineyard and I wanted to spend time with my girlfriends who are half marathon runners. So I did this thing and it was really hard 
And um, I'm happy I did it. Everyone's like, when are you signing up for your next one? I'm like, "Mm, no time soon. Um, But instead of saying I'm not running anymore because I'm not running right now, I've just put it down. I might pick it back up if I want to, if it's something that brings me joy, if I see another goal I want to go after. Um, But that feels better to me. Like, Oh, you got, you got in good shape and you did this and now you quit doing it again. It's like, well, I don't want to do it right now. My dog's 12. I want to spend time with my old dog. He can't go running with me in the morning. So it's either like I have time to walk with my old dog or I have time to run in the morning. And it's like, I'm choosing to walk with my old dog right now. I will have my old dog forever. Now I can pick up running again if I want to. No, it's a, it's a great perspective. It's not that you quit something or moved on yeah. from it. You just put it down, let it aside. Just and, put it down. It's with my pile of books that I have against. Exactly. Which is, I get, and everything's a slippery slope. You can take any of these things. I find myself sometimes, especially when it comes to creative endeavors, um, you know, I'm better at it now than I used to be. Um, and I didn't write a book. When I published the first book, I was, well, I would have been 43, 44, something like that, right? But I don't think before that I could have written a book, but it wouldn't have had the depth. I didn't have enough stories as a human. Mm -hmm. I hadn't come to the, I hadn't come to process the stories that my books tell the story of, you know, Mm -hmm. I I wasn't. And to this day, that, that first book and the second book, there's, it's meant to be a trilogy. There's a third book and I, I haven't written it yet. Well, I haven't put it onto paper or hard drive yet um, because it's just not ready to go yet. And I've come to accept that. It's not that um, I've just put it. It's not ready to be picked up, I guess, is a better way to, to mm-hmm. say it. And and in coming to that and then trying to. But then also giving myself space and time to follow through with other creative endeavors, because it is definitely something that I need, um, something that, you know, I need to do. You know, when it comes to actionable things like make a pile of books, um, another one is just do one hard thing every day. Uh-huh. Do something that's un- hard or uncomfortable. And then another thing would be, um, uh, it just totally slipped my mind, but it'll come back to me later. Right. Well, be creative, right. Create something uh-huh. and engage in a creative activity. What, no matter what that is, um, whether it be writing, uh-huh. could you could be the classics, you know, writing, painting, poetry, whatever, uh-huh. or it could be something, you know, good, good friend of ours, uh, Tim Dwayne stacks rocks. You know, and he has these beautiful rock stacks all over his property and some are big and some are small and some are intricate, some are, but it, for him is a creative process, right? <clears throat> when I stopped doing tree work full time. Hmm? I don't know what it is about the rock stacks. We have them like I'll be on a river somewhere. I love the river. The river, I just, is very grounding to be by a river and you'll be like in the remote part of a river and then you'll see a rock stack. And I always feel like they're a sign mm-hmm. well, that's, that you're not alone. There's something about that. Well, the, the traditional like Karin was meant to be like a, <clears throat> excuse me, it was meant to be like a, uh, a trail sign basically. Right. So the theory is that ancient people would have built these things. Some of them are huge, right? Um, stand to this day, they're not necessarily recognizable, but they were meant to be. And then another thought is that they might have been stacked up to deter animals. So as they were trying to push animals towards a certain area to kind of channel them in where they could be harvested, the, the rock carns would serve as a distraction. So there is definitely, um, once it, for some reason, years ago, I went on a deep dive on rock carns. I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just did because it was fun. Um, but so there is definitely something. And then there's something about the balance of it. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's something about, you know, just the, just the fact that it's a rock, that it's millions of years old, right? Like mm-hmm. it just is, <laughs> it just is. It's, and, uh, and, and stacking them up, but, you know, doing something creative, I think is, is highly important no matter what it is. Right. So you know, it could be stacking rocks or taking pictures of stacked rocks or it doesn't matter. And I think yeah. I, that came to me when I stopped doing tree work full time. For me, pruning is a creative activity. And when I wasn't in a tree working and pruning every day, I, I was lacking something. and I didn't know what it was for a long time. And I was unsettled. And it took me a while to realize, oh, shit. You know, like there, here was something I did on, you know, probably seven to eight hours a week on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And I thought it was just a job. But it was more than that. You know, I before my father passed away, I thought my father never had hobbies. And then I watched him prune his girlfriend's rhododendron bush for eight hours. <laughs> like, like well, I guess he does have a hobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like Tim, what are the creative things you're doing right now? Hmm. I question that sometimes with like what I do creatively. Uh I do a lot of like physical things. Um, yeah, I'm putting together uh, another retreat. So I'm creating, you know, uh, mm-hmm. creating in that space. Um, I guess some of the things too could be like some tree work, you know, like the pruning and uh, I journal a little bit. So that kind of gets some of that creative stuff out. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to dance, just making making food, listening to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else am I doing creatively? It's all those little things, right? Yeah, it's all the little things. It doesn't have to be a big project. Well, I was thinking um, at the beginning of this when you were both talking about writing a book. When I read a book, it blows my mind that someone put this together and this came out of someone's head. So when people tell me mm-hmm. that they're writers and that they <laughs> write books, and you like that both of you written books and I, it blows my mind because that's not how my mind operates. I'm just, I mean, I couldn't read till sixth grade. I'm dyslexic. So, uh, mm-hmm. just someone being able to like collect their thoughts in that way and then write it and, have proper punctuation and formatting and it to flow and to oh no i needed other people to do that yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely if my my middle school english teacher heard that i was a writer (laughs) i mean bless her soul they would not believe you so it's the for me it was really the art of being creative other people came on board to help me with my commas and my you know when you re- when you know what you want to say and you've read it over and over again, but someone reads it and it's not what you wanted to say, like I, I had a lot. Of, there were a lot of hands in this project. There was a yeah. I actually have to write uh, or get to write this week uh, a five hundred little s uh, word essay for uh, just for a program that I'm in. And it would go out on their like newsletter or something about a, mm-hmm. a story. And I act, it gives me like a little bit of anxiety because I can communicate very well, uh, like verbally with people. And, you know, but as soon as I have to write, it just doesn't flow. Well, just mm-hmm. do the talk to text thing. Yeah. It's a phenomenal tool. Like the, the AI behind that is actually really, um, mm-hmm. is really good. 
It's a it's a great way to do it. I don't because I actually uh, I've tried it. It just didn't work for me. I I don't know. Maybe with practice it would have gotten better, um, but it just didn't work for me. But I'm with Jody. I didn't like. I had to hire a copy editor um, mm -hmm. because it's it's one thing. Like stream of consciousness is one thing, but punctuation is just makes it. There's accepted rules that need to be understood. I can't stand people that write without punctuation or big run on sentences. And it's not that I'm a rule follower. It's just that my thoughts are the thing that make us all different. The punctuation being correct is the thing that makes us all the same so that we can understand it. Um, yes. And I, there were plenty of times in my, like I, my copy editor is like, you don't need a comma here. It's like, but just leave it because I want you to stop. Right. Mm -hmm. I literally want you to stop. And you will, because if you accept the, the conventions of it, um, it's important. It's sentence. But yeah, so yeah, that's not, a book is, um, many many hands going into it um you can't i can't it's impossible to proofread your own writing because when i read it i'm not reading it i'm really not if I to, I to say that i read my own material is not true i uh, recently used uh chat gpt mm -hmm. what that is oh yeah no. well so chat gpt is uh it's art it's ai so it's artificial intelligence and you can ask it any question you can ask it to do anything, like, and it does it. Um, so I needed a bio and a resume. So I just put in there and said, create me a resume. Uh, here's where I've worked. And it gave it a bunch of random facts. And it just built me a perfect, beautiful resume in three seconds. And then I'm like, write me a bio for this company. And this is what my experience is. This is what I've been doing. And I'm compassionate and I care about other, whatever. You know, I just put random facts in and it wrote me this amazing, like two page bio. And I'm like, ah, shorten it up, make it, oh, make it one page. And it just wrote it <laughs> in three seconds. Boom. Done. I'm like, I read it. I'm like, I want to hire this guy. Like, right. <laughs> this guy sounds fantastic. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> I sent it to my mom and I was like, just read this. She's like, that's incredible. I called her. I told her how she's like, yeah, I was wondering because I know that <laughs> you <laughs> right. can communicate verbally, but writing mm -hmm. is not, uh, I was wondering who wrote that for you. Well, and for, for my book, one of the best compliments I got was from one of my beta readers is it sounds like you, like it is your voice. And I know that sometimes when I talk, I don't sound perfect. I don't sound like I should be doing a TED talk tomorrow. So what that tells me is that, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's, there's no one's going to need a dictionary to figure out what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be, it's not sophisticated. It's like you're sitting down and having a conversation with me. And for me, that authenticity was so much more important. Cause I remember some like people making, some people making suggestions, like use this phrasing instead of that. I'm like, well, that, that doesn't sound like me. That is not something I would not say it that way. So for me, it was protecting the integrity of my voice coming through as an author. Um, so that's there, there's sort of that fine line between that AI, like you want to really represent who you are. Right. Um, but I get that, that needing that support and ju ju yeah, just because someone's an author doesn't mean that they're a great writer. <laughs> Most aren't. <laughs> yeah, so, no, don't get that twisted. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I have a mostly hate relationship with uh, like ChatGPT because it's literally taken money out of my pocket because I, one of the things I've done in years past was write a lot of copy for like Arbor's catalogs and stuff. You know, those little blurbs, they're using all AI to do that now. Um, mm -hmm. And it's literally caused me to wonder, it's like, so it must be pulling writing style from somewhere. Um, so I've been taking all my writings offline. I don't want it out there. If well, you want to write like me, it's going to come from me. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's just, I did, it's, I, I can understand the purpose of it and I'm not going to have a, uh, a long discussion about the ethics of AI, uh, but still it just, I don't. You guys can do that for your next episode. Exactly. All right. We can put uh, <laughs> it is interesting how my philosophy degree is now probably in demand because I, I focused on ethics and, but anyway, but, uh, it, it is a weird thing and I won't do it. I refuse to, it's like Twitter, right? I refused back in the day when Twitter was the big thing. And like, I'm not doing that. I don't need another, I don't like social media in general. And that one just mm -hmm. particularly pissed me off. And the AI, the chat GBT is kind of the same thing. I'm like, the only thing I would probably use it for is shit. I consider myself to be pretty good at. So, you know, but I'm not, I'm not criticizing anybody about it. It's just, I have a kind of a, a most, I have a hate love relationship with it. Well, the <laughs> writing, uh, Creating a resume is not a fun process, and it did it in three seconds. And I was right. like, whoa, this is awesome. Right. Well, if, think about the time and the energy it would have taken you to do that. Yeah. You got to put into something else. For the most part, I've just asked it really obscene questions, and me and my friends <laughs> just like laugh at it. I'm could, just going to mess with this thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to see how smart it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, the other day, know. I lost my pants. I said, Where are my pants? It said behind the couch. I'm like, Shit. And I turned it off. They were. <laughs> how did it know? I used to just call information for that. Yeah. She never knew. Hello, information. I can help you. Yeah, where are my pants? I don't know. Oh, okay. These are the things we do to entertain ourselves. This is what we do. We have to, right? Cool. Well, it's been a wonderful conversation. We can keep going. I'm not stopping it, but we have found that, like, somewhere around that 70 minute mark, things tend to. I, I think if we were in person, sit down in the same room, it'd be the time we'd get up and get a cup of coffee. Um, yeah. And then the topic would change, but it has been, it has been wonderful, Jody, talking with you and hearing about the book. Uh, if we decide to publish this, which is entirely up to you, um, make sure you send me all the information for how people can get the book yes. because all eight of our subscribers are going to want it. Like, well, exactly. that is, no, I don't know if we actually have a book to link it to, but, um, that's fine. Let's, yeah. Let me know. I can put it in the, in the show notes. I use that. No, no. I got the air quotes going show notes because I don't really do that stuff either. Tim and I have no, um, we are literally the most cavalier, um, cowboy non-scripted podcast hosts ever. But I think the point of the podcast was let's just make something that we'd like to see in this world. And if other people like it, great. If they don't, yeah, this That's is a creative thing. Uh, yeah, that literally just, I'm like, oh, here's a creative thing. There yeah. it is. Say, exactly. yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. And honestly, I kind of forgot that we were doing a podcast, which I think is a good sign.